1-855-454-3221. I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin DMA and the International Society for Strategic Marketing. Well, I apologize for yesterday. I was <laughs> accidentally, I put new hotkeys in and I got this really good setup now, a brand new setup. And uh, only later did I realize that I had inadvertently streamed me sitting at my desk or looking around the office or talking on the phone. Um, so I welcome everybody to try and do live streaming. It is a humbling experience. And uh, that's the way it goes. So that said, and now we're going to fix, we'll fix it. It just takes a couple of tries, but I, I inadvertently streamed like 10 videos and I wondered why I had such low viewership. <laughs> oh. Somebody call me, pick up the phone and say, what's wrong with you, John? Why are you streaming nothing? Well, now you know why. And so here we go. We're going to switch cameras. Watch this. This really works. Cool, huh? Okay, let's start with Tom Fishburn. CX is more than a just a department. How can we be more customer-centric? I'd like to help, but that's not my department. Mine neither. Good luck. <laughs> Maybe not even a department, okay? 75% uh, of organizations believe themselves to be customer-centric. Only 30% of customers agreed. The numbers were even more stark for consumer products companies. 80% believed they were customer-centric, and only 14% agreed. You want to know what's wrong with retail? Walk into a retail store. Try to get a, try to find somebody to ask a question, much less get an answer. Okay. <clears throat> Although top management may clearly express a willingness to focus on the customer, we see many legacy organizations often built on product lines, suppressing the kind of customer-centric initiatives that make customer experience the core, right? Okay, this year in particular has been a stress test for customer experience. Co companies that excelled at CX were 8.7 times more likely to have significantly grown customer spending and 3.3 times more likely to have grown their customer base over the past six months. And I have to say, it's tricky. We're going to get into some examples, some great examples. So here we go. First of all, I wanted to shout out to the USPS. Um, and for those of you who think there may be some funny shenanigans going on, I clearly believe that it's not the mail-in ballots. I believe it may be printing those ballots and maybe having them in warehouses. But way to go, USPS, I got to say. And I talked with my postal carrier often and uh, he said we will get the job done and they clearly did uh, an amazing job and maybe that's the picture for the future I don't know um, at least the, the idea of it <laughs> that that we can pre-vote is I think solid and I think we're going to probably stick with that now Nobody's going to know what's going on yet with the votes. And if they find semi-trailers full of pre-printed ballots, I think we may have some contention. But for today, the market was up a little, and uh, it looks like the best of all possible worlds. Um, you know, the Senate will block basically everything, and, the, and whoever's president... Uh, or the House won't, <laughs> nobody will be able to do anything. I think it's amazing the Founding Fathers, in their wisdom, 
built government to fight with itself in such a way that none of us really trust the government. And it's like the only way to limit it. It's wonderful, I got to say. So kudos to the founding fathers. <laughs> and no matter what happens, that's one of the great magical things about the United States of America. It's, it's in a sense, it's inefficiency and ineptitude keeps us all safe. Okay, this was a funny article, I thought. Good to vote taught Adore Me how to, uh, about influencer marketing. Okay, so there's this company that sells lingerie direct to consumer. We'll skip over most of that. And they wanted to help their micro-influencers, their micro-influencers, which is defined as somebody with less than 10,000 followers uh, like me. Okay, so I don't know if I've told you to go buy anything. Um, and certainly not that product line, because I don't know anything about it. But um, there's, a, there's an organization called headcount.org, and uh, you can put out a crazy challenge like, um, like Samuel L. Jackson promised to swear in 15 languages if they get a certain number of people to register on the site. So it's simple fun. And so, so, um, so this brand, Adore Me, got their creator platform started in January. Each influencer created their challenge for their followers, promising to do things like cut off their bangs, post embarrassing photos from childhood, or let one of their kids cover their Instagram for the day. <laughs> the idea was if we could get a thousand new voters collectively, they'd all have to do their promised challenge. Okay, so if everybody chipped in, you know, who knows how many followers. Well, it turned out they got 1,700, so they got almost 100% better, 70% better than they, than they had hoped. These micro-influencers have a different kind of impact. People aren't following these people because they're famous. They follow them because they're real. Scott Adams had a Periscope just yesterday, I think, about this, that he said that his lack of tech in uh, in his production values of his Periscope meant that people that he could talk to the camera and that he could he could talk to like he was talking to one person out there, and in some cases I am talking to just one person. <laughs> no, we got more views than that, but it doesn't matter, you know, because that's what I want to do. I want to talk to you. And I love when we get some engagement, we get some comments, um, some days more than others. But I think everybody's a little bleary-eyed today. Okay, so true fans, not just tens of thousands of followers. Um, and so because of this strategy with this, um, this voting app, they can leverage a larger community of smaller influencers. And that may be the future of advertising, really. Um, they had, I believe that this, this campaign or this picture above that we just looked at, oops, I always gotta go this way, that we just looked at was their Slay All Day campaign to celebrate its holiday lingerie. And uh, they're disproving some main major uh, major ideas about that market which is who will buy online the older women are buying things online and what's going to sell the most and it turns out that um, the frilly stuff is selling so 
Here's a story about Dunkin' Donuts, Dunkin' Delivers. They came up with an idea. In March, we rolled out a a little promotion called Free Donut Friday, and we saw immediate results. Now, what I think is brilliant about that is that, you know, if you were able to drive to the grocery store, you could probably swing by Dunkin' Donuts and get a little slice of heaven and maybe a coffee. And, um, you know, for free, you probably, you know, spent more on yourself and got a a creamy latte or something. And uh, I don't even know if they sell those. But it, it while you're out of the house, you made a point to go visit Dunkin' Donuts, which told you a couple of things. One, they were still open for business. That was a big deal. That was a big deal that just to get that message across in a physical, tangible world is is brilliant. Okay, It gave people something to look forward to. It, they said it's one of the most successful promotions we've ever done. Okay, so make it a point to go grocery shopping on a Friday. Um, they also promoted um, bigger orders for their delivery, like a half dozen donuts or a 25 count of munchkins. People might be reluctant to order one donut. <laughs> I would hope so. But might order breakfast for the whole family. A donut breakfast, that sounds like a treat. Okay, delivery sales since the p- pandemic began are up 120%. Okay. And their third quarter financial report said that its comparable store sales in the U.S. rose almost 1% year over year compared to last year, okay, while revenues gained 1.6%. Most most, uh, quickie chains are just trying to get back to, to, to sales of last year. Starbucks, for example, reported a same store sales decline of 9%. So way to go, Dunkin' Donuts. Way to go, right? But it's, again, it's giving the customers something to look forward to. Lovely, wonderful. Okay, now this is a kind of a deep dive um, article I wanted to spend a little time on. And if you're not into customer support, we'll, we'll get to the summary right off the bat. Okay, so the idea was that they studied companies across the world and they, found, and they divided them into three major categories. Okay, Um, starters, which had zero to three of the seven characteristics. Okay, they had they had. um, uh, Okay, let's try and what I was looking for is what are these seven characteristics? Because they broke them down really well. Um, But anyway, some key findings. You know, I never did find that, but. Companies that were in the uh, the higher classes of customer service had faster growth, increased market share, and senior level support. Now, I did want to mention something on senior level support because I, for a for a couple of years, ran a customer support uh, company or a telecenter. And one of the interesting things was we put here's a couple of things you can do. Really simple. One was we had customer service report to marketing, and one of the things that 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 gave us. A really surprising thing. We had a 100% money-back guarantee, and this is business to business, and it was imprinted merchandise. And that sounded like, you know, that's kind of like the standard thing uh, at the time it was for all catalogers to have 100% money-back guarantee. And people would call up, and they would, uh, and they would demand their money back when they had mis- mistakenly ordered. 5,000 of something instead of 500 of something. 
or they would spell their own company name wrong and they would demand their money back because we had a 100% money back guarantee. And the customer service people said, you know, it's really not fair to our good customers to, to give these people their money back. You know, and we don't want the stuff back because it's, it doesn't even have their own name spelled right, much less a name we want. So uh, they, so the customer service people said we need to modify our 100% money back guarantee to say that the imprint is your responsibility. And uh, in this day and age, you know, they can let you see the imprint right on your your thing there. But we were pioneering this back in the day, and but I thought that was very very perceptive from the customer support people. They said, you know, we want to help everybody. You know, and we want to be fair, but it's not fair if some customers just want to cheat. And I've run into that in in some other companies where, like apparel clients, where some areas of the country would have an incredibly high return rate. And so sometimes we would stop marketing to those areas where we found a consistent pattern of ordering an outfit and wearing it and then sending it back for a full refund. And, you know, I really commend companies like Land's End, but I knew an executive, high-level executive, that used to buy Land's End shirts, business shirts, wear them for a couple of months, and then send them back and get new ones. Well, that would be a guy. You know, and our actually our modeling system takes that into account. So we may still keep mailing that geography but we might not keep mailing that guy <laughs> and it's not because we're mad at him or anything you know uh, and so keep track of return codes and keep track of uh, of a restocking charge in your customer analytics in your scoring system I highly recommend you keep track of that if possible so that repeat customers that are chronic re restockers uh, don't undermine the customer support of your good customers that's a principle that i think is really good the other area on senior level support i thought was funny is um one of my clients had a an office of the president customer support position and what it was was they put a desk right outside the president's office you know a small desk and gave it a regular line to customer service and but if a customer and you know it was it was in a different area of the building a little bit different but but down the hallways so it wasn't really that convenient so they took turns at staffing this desk and they did their regular job just like always but you know they would rotate the people there but when a customer had a really bad complaint they would say would it be okay with you if we transfer you to the office of the president well, the customers are like, whoa, this is awesome. <laughs> I get to talk to the office of the president of the company. That ought to get me somewhere. And, you know, they were trained to handle it well. And, uh, and But just that little thing sounded so great. And it was really effective at changing the tone of the conversation. You know, where, where maybe the the uh, the the customer was trying to bully the customer support person into something. And uh, I, I was amazed at how well that worked. And then there was one other indication of senior level support, and that was that I gave the, I gave the support people 
standing permission to transfer a call to me anytime they needed to. And I was only the VP of marketing, but sometimes that helped too. And I would, you know, all of a sudden I'd get a, I'd see there was a call, I'd pick it up, and oh man, somebody would be screaming at me. You know, and uh, it, it, but you know, it keeps you aware of the customer issues. I think it's a really healthy thing to have senior management take turns on the phones. You know, I would take turns on the inbound sales phones too. And, you know, I knew the vendors. So I knew when a customer called and asked for a, you know, an imprinted item that was virtually impossible, I knew that it was possible. You know, it wasn't in our catalog, but I knew it, there was a way to get it. I just didn't know what price to put on it or how to get it. I just knew that it was possible. And I would kind of, oh, they used to laugh when I, you know, sometimes on lunch hour, I'd go up there and do that. And, uh, you know, it's really good for morale. And you start to see how much more difficult it is than you thought. And so, again, it's very, very humbling. And I think those are the kind of intangibles that any company can do, you know, any company. And, uh, and it matters. It, and according to this survey, there's all kinds of impact. Um, but the companies that invest in customer support, and I'm not saying you just lay, lay down for every customer issue, but I'm saying that the, the listening part is probably the most important and the promptness of it. So... When I have an issue with a company, you know, a lot of times I'll go to their Facebook page and sometimes I'll get an answer right away. Sometimes I won't get any answer at all. You know, uh, it's a it's a peculiar world we live in where you can't find a phone number on a, a website that you ordered from. You can't find a way to to contact support. I think that's a huge mistake. Even a bot would be better than that. So. Customer service, yes, is more than just a department, right? But it's there's some pretty simple things that anybody can do. And if you're really concerned, we can look up the seven things that they were graded on. Um, at least they boiled it down for you, and you can see where you stack up on the, in the three groups. So have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. I'm John Miglosh. Oh, and it's National Stress Day or something like that. I was going to put that in my pocket and show it to you, but it's something like that. The, the first Wednesday of every, of every November is National Stress Awareness Day, so chill. <laughs>